Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Have you ever met someone who calls himself a Christian but doesn't really act like one? Well, that was once me. There's a period of time where I lived inconsistently. I didn't want to give up living for myself, even though I'd started going to church and reading the Bible. A girl once said to me, you're one of those Sunday Christians, aren't you? I was caught in between my non-Christian community that got drunk and swore and made fun of people and slept around, and my new Christian community that did none of those things. Maybe you're a little bit like I was and have a foot in both worlds. And maybe you feel like you can come to Spark on Sundays or Ignite on Fridays, but live the same as everyone else during the rest of the week. Well, today we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be a true Christian. But first, some context. Last week, we saw that we should take sin seriously because if we accept it, in our community, it can spread throughout the whole Christian community. The principle underneath the passage is that the grace of God should actually change the way we live. Which leads us into the passage today, where Paul wants to help Christians to pursue the new life they have in Christ. And the first thing he teaches us is that Christians have a new support structure. Verse 1 says, When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? What's going on here? Some of the Corinthians have wronged each other in various ways. And instead of addressing these problems among the Christian community, they've taken each other to court. Now, Paul isn't saying that Christians should never go to court against another Christian. What he is saying is that wherever possible, Christians should seek spiritually mature Christians who have no stake in the matter and who can give objective biblical advice, as opposed to seeking counsel from non-Christians or taking issues among Christians to be settled before non-Christians. He says in verse 2, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And in verse 3, How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Paul is concerned with how this will make the Christian community appear before non-Christians. We see concern in verse 1, where he says, before the unrighteous instead of the saints. And in verse 4, where he says, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. And in verse 5, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. The issue Paul has is that acting shamefully or being ungodly towards other Christians can give unbelievers an excuse for mocking Jesus. They will say, did you hear about those Christians taking each other to court over such stupid things? Oh yeah, did you hear how they talk to each other? Yeah, I did. They're such hypocrites. I could never believe in Jesus if this is what his followers are like. I remember a non-Christian friend of mine no longer wanting to hang out with my Christian friends because of how badly they gossiped about each other. And sadly, from that point on, he wasn't interested in taking Jesus seriously. Rather, 1 Peter 2.12 says we are to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Instead, Paul says in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul says it's better to suffer wrong personally than to let Christ be dishonored through a public disagreement between you and someone else. This means we need to let how Christ looks to others become more important than how we feel we have been treated. And this can be hard because almost all of the time, our anger is not a righteous anger, but a self-focused anger. Think about it. When was the last time you were angry because you felt Christ's reputation was being dragged through the mud? Or that someone was hindering people from entering the kingdom? So often when we're angry because of something we want, so often we're angry because of something we want or because something makes us look bad. What does this section mean practically? Do everything you can to prevent Christ being dishonoured. This means in important life decisions that reflect our priorities, take advice from Christians, not non-Christians, where possible. It involves not taking sides with non-Christians against Christians. It involves not airing your issues with Christians among your non-Christian friends. It means being willing to look bad before others or to lose things materially so that Christ won't be mocked. So when you have a problem with another Christian or you need advice, do you have a godly trusted Christian you can go to who will give you an unbiased advice and help? If not, you need to find one. Perhaps it might be one of the older Christians here at Spark or at school. Or if you don't know any other godly youth like this, you all have a leader who you can go to. So there's really no excuse. Paul believes the Christian community is able to support us when we go through a hard time with another believer so that we might flourish in our relationships with God and with others. In the second section now, Paul wants to help Christians to pursue the new life they have in Christ by understanding Christians have a new identity. Christians have a new identity. In verse 9, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the unrighteous Paul's talking about? Those whose behavior is no different from our non-Christian friends. Paul is saying that people who live just like the rest of the world, without any sorrow for their sin, who turn their back on God and how they live, will not be saved and will not enter God's kingdom. Now, it's not whether you've been tempted with a particular sin, but what you do with that desire. As one author, John Piper, said, the point is not that one act of homosexual or heterosexual experimentation condemns you, but that returning to this life permanently and without repentance, which is a change in mind leading to a change in action, will condemn you. In verse 11, Paul goes on to say, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In this section, Paul is raising the question, Who are you? Now, some say your identity is your sexuality. To refuse um, the gay or lesbian label is to deny your true self. Well, the first thing to say to that is that this is not what science says. In 
2000, a study was done by Michael Bailey on identical twins, and only 12.3% of the identical twin pairs were both homosexual in orientation. That's roughly 1 in 10, not 100%, not 90%, as you would expect to find, where both had homosexual orientation. Only 1 in 10 of identical twins. Dr. Neil Whitehead reviews and summarises over 10,000 scientific publications and concludes for a roughly 10% nature to 90% nurture effect regarding homosexual orientation, while saying that any genetic effect is very indirect. Another study estimated that as many as 80% of male adolescents who reported same-sex attraction no longer did so as adults. In other words, the science doesn't support the claim that people are born gay. This is not to say that many did not choose to feel this way. While studies have shown some common factors in childhood can lead to same-sex attraction for many, there may be no obvious reason why some people struggle with same-sex attraction. But that's okay because the Bible says we're all born with disordered desires and we all need God's grace. The second thing to say is that it's, it's not what God says. It's not what science says and it's not what God says. What we see in verse 11 is that there were Corinthians who attended church and who had been practicing homosexuals past tense. But they had come to trust in Christ. So now the way of, that way of life no longer defined them. What defined them was their relationship with Jesus. They were washed, which means they were, a forgiven, they were forgiven sinners. They were sanctified, which means they were holy. And they were justified, which means they were now friends with God in a right relationship with him. In other words, a Christian's identity isn't their sexuality or what they do or who they're with. Their identity is now a saved sinner, a forgiven Christian. Now, while some say you should celebrate and embrace your sexuality and your desires, we need to ask, will this really lead to satisfaction and freedom? Is a fish that is taken out of the water truly free? It was created to exist within water. Otherwise, it dies. In a similar way, true freedom and true flourishing isn't doing whatever we feel like doing, but to live as we were created to live, as God originally made us. Because God made us, he knows what's best for us, and he wants what's best for us. We all know the consequences of living selfishly. When we look within, we know we are broken. There are things we all wish we could change about ourselves. Many struggle with unwanted feelings. There is an increasing percentage of young people struggling with anxiety and depression. Well, the good news is that God will not leave us as we are. He wants something better for us. In John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and had clearly been looking for intimacy, satisfaction and fulfillment in her sexual partners. In verse 14 of chapter 4 of John, Jesus says to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus says he's going to give living water, he is literally promising to give them himself as the one who satisfies the deepest longings of every human heart. The soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him.
But such a great gift came at the greatest of costs. The one who had offered streams of living water hung on a cross and said, I thirst. The fountain of living water thirsted for us. The one who offers us life gave up his life for us. But not only does he give us his life, he also gives us his Holy Spirit. We are all born sinful with sinful disorderly desires. But God doesn't say, you were born that way, so too bad. He says, I love you. So I want to save you from those desires and the punishment they deserve and transform you into who you were always meant to be. True transformation and true belonging is possible for all people, including those who have lived a homosexual lifestyle. Not saying that all our desires go away, but that God can cause us to love Jesus more than our fallen, disordered desires. That is what the gospel does to those who hear the message of our sin and brokenness and believe the Bible that God by his spirit restores us in Christ to how he intended us to live. So what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, I think we need to use words that reflect our worldview. For example, the word gay is generally used to describe someone whose identity is formed around their sexuality. But we know that someone's behaviour or orientation doesn't define them. God does. Rather, they are a Christian who happens to be same-sex attracted. Two, remind each other it's worth it because of Jesus. Saying no to sin is costly. Jesus knows this all too well. Before he died, he asked his father in Mark 14, 36, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus said yes to God because it was worth it. And he is in heaven enjoying eternal joy right now. And so will we if we're faithful. The person who wins something greater than a state lottery can afford to give up a life orientated towards the pleasure of fleeting desires. Thirdly, remind yourself that this isn't the real you when you sin. We need to keep saying that to ourselves. This isn't the real you. You are God's son. God has permanently made you that through the death of Jesus. You shouldn't have done what you just did, but it changes nothing about you. So remind yourself that this isn't the real you. Fourthly, call out sin while having compassion on the sinner. Jesus restores sexually broken people, but he never condones their lifestyle. Jesus bids all of us who come to him to come as we are, even though he doesn't leave any of us as we are. To the woman caught in adultery in John 8, he said, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. If sin leads people away from God, ruins their lives and places them under God's judgment, then it's unloving to accept them for who they are and never challenge them in their sin. Therefore, it is loving to gently tell people to turn away from their sin. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge that People really do struggle with sexual orientation, so we need to have compassion on them and to walk with them through their struggle. This is called being a good friend. And fifthly, we need to make sure our youth group is a welcoming environment. We need to build a culture where all people are welcomed and create a culture of openness that would allow a person to begin a conversation about their gender identity or sexuality issues where we listen carefully and don't doubt or minimise or dismiss the person's experience. Where we are concerned with the whole person, not just their gender issues. Where we are patient and committed to the person in the long term. Though I was living a worldly life, 
A Christian friend met up with me regularly to read the Bible, pray and point out sin. And I eventually said no to being just like my friends and living for my selfish desires. And at my 21st, some non-Christian friends shared stories about all the drunk and stupid things that I'd done. And then my friend got up and said that that's who Mike was. But he's a new man now because of Christ. May this be true of all of us. Now let's listen to a short video about the joy and change that Jesus gave to a man who had lived a homosexual lifestyle for most of his life and then found Jesus. When I was, you know, in elementary school, I started to realize that I was becoming attracted to the same sex. I was like, wait, this is odd and no, no one else is feeling this way and I can't, and no one else can know about this. When I was a junior in high school, my best friend, we came out to each other. So then I suddenly had this confidant in high school whom I could tell everything to and tell him what I was feeling and what it was like and he understood and, and we could talk and, and we started going out. You know, we started going to gay bars in high school, we started going to clubs and, and then even in high school I still felt that being gay was not something that I was going to be for the rest of my life. I just thought, oh, well, eventually I'll get married and have kids and this will just kind of go away. But it didn't go away. When I went to college, I was feeling more and more like homosexuality was becoming my core identity. I just knew that Christianity was never an option for me, uh, ever. I just thought, this I, I'm a gay man, like I can't ever be a Christian. The, the, never the twain shall meet. And so I just thought, I just put God even further on at the back burner and didn't even think of God at all. And then after college I moved to LA and I got in with a group of friends who were, um, who are all like-minded. We lived our lives always kind of just wanting to two things, and it was success and career, and to find true love. I think I had a, a total of five, five serious relationships, and they, um, and they were all very intense and very real, and every time I, was in one of these relationships. It was like, okay, this is the one. Like, this is the guy who is gonna give me meaning in my life. This is the person that's gonna save me. Like, I, I seriously saw them as almost like a messiah. Like, this person will give my life meaning. I'll have a, re a reason to live. Like, I, and I, I put so much pressure on these relationships. And so during, during all this time in Hollywood, I, did everything. I went to all the premieres, I went to the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys, and I went to the Governor's Ball after the Oscars, and like, that life I was living was, kind of, it was satisfying, it was fun, and it was, 
I kind of felt a, like high from it. I was at a, one of the after parties one night and like everyone was dancing and all the people in the fashion world were there and it was like very glamorous and and I just remember just looking out over the sea of people all having the times of their lives and I just felt so empty and dead inside. I was like, I felt so alone and just empty. And about, I think, six months later, I was at a coffee shop in Silver Lake. We noticed something very shocking. The table next to us had just Bibles all over it. And we were kind of fascinated by it, even though it was, to us, it was like the enemy. Um, like those are the people who hate who we are. So, but we were fascinated by them still. So my friend urged me to, to talk to them. And I said, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And he said, well, you know, it's a sin. And like, I just stayed and I was like, huh, okay. That's interesting. And then we talked some more and then he invited me to his church. Somehow I got, I just, I don't even, I got up the Sunday morning and the pastor comes out and he started preaching from Romans chapter seven. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just flooded me. That's when I saw the holiness of God and my sinfulness at the same time. It, and I just started bawling. It, it was like this mix of, of joy and, and sorrow. Like sorrow over my sin and joy over the fact that I just met the king of the universe, God, Jesus. In that moment, I knew that God was real, Jesus was real, heaven was real, hell was real, eternal life was real, the Bible was real. I, I just, God was like, this is who I am. This is who you are. You're now in my kingdom. You're now my child. And we now are reconciled and we have a relationship. And I was like, God, you have my whole life. Like, this is it. It's all yours. When I was living that gay life and for many, many years, I was 100% sure that was my identity. Like it was, I felt like I was born that way. I, it was my orientation, it was my identity. And I felt like it was immutable. And one of the things that also happened during that, that moment of conversion was I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that homosexuality was not who I was, that my identity was in Christ, that that was not who I was. This is the issue, the deal breaker. Homosexuality is the deal breaker for the LGBT community when it comes to Christianity. And I felt the same way. People always say, well, isn't it unloving to say that homosexuality is a sin? And I'm like, no, it's unloving to let people spend eternity apart from God. And that's unloving. This life is a vapor. This life is a mist. It's like two seconds long. Eternity is a long time. And whether you believe it or not, we're all gonna face Christ on the last day. And we're either gonna be under his mercy or under his wrath. That's the bottom line. And whether you believe that or not, that's going to happen. That's what's at stake. 
is eternity. That's what's at stake. Do you want just this kind of temporary pleasure right now? Or do you want eternity with God? Do not let this one issue, and I know it's a very powerful, strong issue, but do not let this one issue prevent you from eternity with God.